0: Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. Well, thanks for coming. I'm Pastor Bucky. It's so fun to be here as we continue the series, The Journey Together. And next year's 10-year celebration of the Watermark Journey, and so hopefully you can join us and have some fun. It's going to be a great time. But we're talking about the journey of the soul, and the journey of soul is not primarily about activity or doing. I mean, there's a lot of journeys of doing in Orange County, right? We're running all over the place, and we're journeying to our favorite restaurant, have a great meal with some friends. We're journeying to light and lamb coffee and having coffee with the pastor, maybe asking questions. Or we're journeying to a small group, or we're running to... A football game. What about Friday Night Lights football in Costa Mesa where you get to see your grandson throw his first touchdown pass? Yeah, that was my journey Friday night, shepherd. But that's a lot of doing and that's all good stuff. But this journey that we're talking about, the journey that we're on with Jesus, is the journey of the soul. And it's not about doing as much as it is about being. It's about what's happening on the inside of us as we go about all of our activities in Orange County, because Jesus wants to connect those two together. He wants to bring them into an integrated whole that our doing comes out of our very being. And so Jesus is concerned about our soul. Ben Appleby did a great job in the first sermon in this message last week talking about the soul. How do you define it? What is it? I mean, what are you talking about when you talk about the soul? Well, the soul is internal. The soul is eternal. The soul is the organizing principle of our life because it involves our mind, our will, our emotions, our very personhood. It's who we are. It's our real person. That's the soul. And it's eternal. It is made to be connected to God. So this is a most important journey that we're on. As a matter of fact, when Jesus talked about it, he said the soul, guys, is really, really important. Here's what he said in Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, to gain everything that Orange County has to offer, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for the soul? Jesus is underlining the importance and the value Of the soul. When was the last time you considered the state of your soul? Thought about what's happening on the inside. How is it going with my soul? Well, Jesus said that's the most important thing you can ask because that thing is the most valuable thing that you have. Here's what Augustine said You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart, or our soul, our internal organizing system is restless. It doesn't work well until it rests in you. The soul, the internal part of ourselves is made to know God. It is hungry for something that only God can fill. All the stuff of Orange County, all the stuff we go after, all the stuff we try to gain can never actually fill and fulfill the soul. The soul is something that is made by God and for God, and it's something that only God can fill. And he wants to organize that part of our lives around his eternal goodness and grace so that we might know why we were created, how we are to live, and what does it mean to live a full life, how we are satisfied truly with life, and where is our destiny. That's all about soul stuff. And so Jesus is all about the soul. It's the most valuable, precious thing that we have. Jesus said, there's nothing more weightier in your life. I mean, if you had a, a scales, right? If you took a set of scales and on, your, on this side of the scale, you put all your money, you put all your, your toys, you put all your cars, you put your house you put your stock portfolio, you put all, all, all the stuff that you're going after, you're trying to get in Orange County, if you put it there, man, you'd go, then that, that's weighty, right? That's the most important thing I have. And Jesus says on the other side of the scale, if you put your soul, what, what's the soul? What does it even mean? This is, this is where we live in Orange County. Everything is weighted to this. And Jesus says on eternal scales, it's this. All that stuff means nothing. Compared to the value and the weight of your soul, what can you give in exchange for your soul? It's the most important part of your life because it's internal, eternal, and it brings everything into the right order of what you were created for, your purpose, your being, your destiny. The soul is the most important thing. And so that's why we're on this journey because that's the journey that Jesus calls us to be on as his disciples because he cares about your soul more than anything. So how do we get going on this journey? What does it mean? The first step is to put confidence in Jesus. Ben talked about that last week. Put your confidence in Jesus that he is the one that actually knows your soul, can actually care for your soul, and transform it. He's the one. But then after you have that confidence, what does he do? He puts you into community. That's the second step on this journey of the soul. It's community. It's community. Jesus, if he wants to care for your soul and transform your soul and help you become and mold you into the person that you really longed to be and you were created to be, he puts you in community because you cannot get by without a little help from your friends. Beatles had it right, right on that song. You can't get by without a little help from your friends, right? And Jesus knows that. And so, Jesus in the Gospels, all the time, what does he do? He invites people into community. We want to talk about that this morning the gift of community, why it's important, why that is so powerful that we step into community. And I want each of you today to say, where is my community and how is it helping me deal with our soul, my soul. Where's my group? Where's my friends? Where is the place that I belong? Because a church primarily is not about sitting and listening to a sermon. Nothing wrong with that. But a church is about building a community that forms people into the image of Christ. And so I want to talk to you about the transformation of the soul, and it takes community. We want to look at the life of Peter. Peter was a guy that met Jesus and his life was transformed. In the Bible, we have his whole life through the Gospels and then after. And Peter could never have become the pillar of the church, the leader of the movement of Jesus without a community. He would have never gotten by without a little help from his friends. And so we want to look at his life And think about what are the principles of community and how are you working community in your life? How are you taking that journey? I want to invite you, if church is just like a once a month, twice a month thing and you have no community, I want to challenge you to get into community because that is where discipleship and transformation actually happens. So let's talk about this from the life of Peter. And the first principle we want to talk about is that community is the place where we, get, we catch our true calling. Community is the place where we catch our true calling. You know, when Peter first met Jesus in a real intimate way, Peter had been doing a lot of fishing all night long, and he was kind of a burned out, angry, struggling person when they first met in, in, in this deep communal way. Peter had gone fishing all night long. He had caught nothing, and he and his buddies, he's in fishing business with his brothers and friends, And they were cleaning their nets. They hadn't caught anything. And Peter knew about Jesus as a rabbi. Peter probably encountered him. But this is the place where he's going to encounter him in authentic community, up close and personal. Because Jesus has been preaching to the masses and says, Peter, can I use your boat boat as a pulpit? Because there's so many people. I, I need to step up so I can get my voice out to the people. And Peter says, sure. And after Jesus finishes his message, he looks at Peter and says, hey, let's go fishing. After a long night, I'm burned out, I'm tired. And here's what happens, because this is an amazing transformational moment in Peter's life. When he had finished speaking, Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. In Galilee, you fish in shallow water, right? And Jesus doesn't know much about fishing, right? He just knows about preaching. You preach, I fish. But because Peter gives deference to this rabbi, and rabbis are honored as the most valuable people in the culture. Peter honors Jesus and says, Master, we've worked hard all night long. I'm tired. I'm burned out, but we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. This amazing miracle happens. It's so many fish. They just start to blow open the nets. They single their partners, their buddies, come over and help us with this catch, and the partners of the other boat come over and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. This is an amazing miracle, but the greater miracle is the one who's going to look right into Peter's soul, the one who actually can look into your soul, not just into your outside, not just into your calendar, not just in your bank account, but can actually look into the depth of your soul and know what's going on and know what you actually need. Jehovah Jireh said, the one who actually knows and provides what you actually need, and that's Jesus. And Simon Peter knows this. Simon Peter sees the x-ray eyes. This This dude knows everything about me. He's looking right in my heart, and I'm not enough for him. And this is what he says. And Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me. I'm not enough, right? I am a sinful, broken man. My soul is fractured. My soul is so fractured. It's filled with pain because of the government that's oppressing me. A lot of us are filled with pain because of the government that's not doing right for me. Whether Democrat or Republican, we're mad at, angry at our government, right? Most people are angry also when it comes to government. We're frust- Peter's frustrated. He's got anger and bitterness towards his government. He's frustrated with the church. He's got a lot of church hurt because the Pharisees are telling him that he's not enough. He's not holy enough. He's not righteous enough. And because of people like sinners like him, Israel's messed up. And so he feels judged by the church. He feels, maybe you have church hurt here today. Maybe you've been broken by the church. Peter feels broken by the religious system of his day. And Peter's frustrated just trying to be a small businessman and make ends meet. Like many of us are frustrated, just trying to put food on the table. Peter is fractured. He's frustrated. He's angry. He's losing his hope. He's struggling just to find meaning and purpose. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe that's why you came today with a friend because you're looking for that. Let me tell you, Jesus is the one that knows the needs of your soul. Not just the needs of your life, but the needs of the deep parts of your soul. And he says, don't be afraid. Jesus knows everything about your soul. He knows everything you've thought, everything you've done, all the things that you wouldn't want to share with maybe other people, things that you're ashamed of, things that you have Fear, guilt over, things that you don't want people to know. He knows all of that stuff. And what does he say to Peter? Hey, Peter, don't be afraid, because guess what? From now on, you're going to fish for people. You have an amazing calling on your life, Peter. I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you as my beloved son to come and go fishing for me, to go into my father's business with me, and I have an eternal vision for your life that can only fill your soul. It's not about being a human doing. It's not about chasing after things that don't last. It's about being a part of the kingdom of God and having an eternal filling in your soul that fills out and captures people with the nets of grace in the kingdom of God. Peter, (laughs) have you got a life, man? I believe in you. Do you know that Jesus believes in you? He sees every broken part of your soul and he still believes in you. He believes he can make you like him. That's what a disciple is. When Jesus speaks into our lives and calls, he says, I can make you like me. I can make you filled with love and joy and peace. I can make you understand what it means to be a a beloved child and know how to love people and love God and have an eternal transformation wherever you go whatever place of business, whatever vocation, your calling is to know and glorify God, I believe you can become that person. Do you believe that Jesus can make you like him? Because when a rabbi says, come follow me, he says, I believe in you. I believe you can become like me. The question is, have you chosen to trust Jesus with your soul? Do you believe Jesus can put that back together and bring fulfillment and purpose to your life? That's confidence in Christ. That's the first step. And what does Peter do? He doesn't run away. No, he he and his buddies drop their nets. They drop their business. They drop it all. And they follow this one that cares and loves for their soul. Have you done that? Have you actually dropped your life and said, Jesus, it's yours. I surrender my soul, the care of my soul to you. Make me the person that you want me to be. That's confidence in Christ. But what does Jesus do? What happens to them? They follow him. And what does Jesus do? He puts them into community. That's what it is. Did Jesus call one disciple? Is is this book about Peter and Jesus? No. It's about Jesus and the 12. It's Peter, James, and John. It's Andrew. It's Simon, right? It's, It's a whole group of people and Judas that are brought together in a community, and Jesus transforms the soul in community. Jesus doesn't recruit one disciple. He recruits all disciples. It's not a me and Jesus spirituality. And so much of our church in America is about me and Jesus in this individualized, isolated, all about me consumer culture culture. The church, we hear the gospel, it's just about me and Jesus. I just go surf with Jesus. I got a podcast with Jesus. Uh, You know, everything's great. So uh, I don't need the church. I don't need these people that, you know, mess up my life with messy community. I'm sad. So many of my friends that I've walked with in other churches have, have such a power to help other souls, and they've walked away from the church. And they're just about me and Jesus. And they think God is satisfied with that. And that's just a, a complete fallacy. The New Testament knows nothing of a lone disciple. We're disciples together. There's no substitute for community. Community is the place that we learn to train versus try. So much of the American church is about hearing the sermon and trying to be like Jesus. I hear a sermon, I go out and try to be like Jesus and fail. I hear a sermon and I try to be Jesus like fail. I hear somebody say, hey, you know, get sober, and I try to be sober and I fail. Why? Because you have to do it in community, there's no other way out. Whether it's sobriety or sanctification or porn or whatever thing in your life, you cannot do it without community. Because we learn to train versus try. We learn the rhythms of Jesus, of trusting him with our whole life. We learn that we can get by with a little help of my friends, the person I can call that knows what I've been through, that's there for me in the middle of the night, that's willing to come in the morning and, and be with me and my family when life falls apart. I learn that I'm not alone. I'm not carrying this life. I'm carrying it with Jesus and his people. They are the gift of community. And we can't do it without them. And so that's so important. In the community of Jesus, we're formed, each one of us, into the kind of person that can make an eternal impact in this world. Boy, do we need community because we forget. Every 14 days, research says we forget who we are. You will forget who you are every 14 days, and the world is going to tell you you are a human doing. You need to do, you need to earn, you need to gain, you need to go for the world. It will tell you, it pound you with messages every day through the internet and your cell phone. You will be pounded. Where do you find out, know that you are a beloved child and that you are not alone and God is with you and you can trust in Him? You don't learn that without forming your heart around a community of people that need to remind you of that every day. You've got to have community. And so that's the first gift is to realize that discipleship, it's just not, I mean, community is not optional for the disciple. It is so important for all of us to be in community. The second point is, there it is, community is not an option for the disciple. The second point is, community is the place where we get transformed by the truth. Community is the place where we get transformed by the truth. Community allows us to step into truth in a way that you can't find it in a larger gathering. You can't find it in a podcast. Nothing wrong with a podcast. I love them. Nothing wrong with hearing sermons. Nothing wrong with coming to church. But you can't find the truth that sets you free without the gift of community. Look at how Jesus transforms Peter's life with truth through the gift of community. Jesus is Continuing to travel with the 12, he's doing miracles. His authority is, is powerful. He's preaching like nobody else, the Sermon on the Mount. He has lots of crowds after him. It's so busy, he takes his disciples away for a retreat, a little small group retreat in an area called Caesarea Philippi to ask them the most important question, where are you at with the truth about who I am? And Jesus says... Who do the people say that I am out there as we're working in the fields and doing things? Well, some say you're John the Baptist risen from the dead, others Elijah or a prophet. And Jesus says, But who do you think that I am? And Peter, who's the spokesman for the community, he's the one, he's the disciple in the small group that talks too much, right? <laughs> but we love Peter. He asks the question that we all have. He answers the way he answers that we all think, right? We love Peter. And Peter says, You're the Messiah son of the living God. Lights go off. That's amazing. Peter gets it right. He's on, and Jesus affirms you, affirms him. Blessed are you. There's affirmation in community. You know, if you guys get the right answer, where's the affirmation here? But when you get a right answer in a small group and you got it right, what about your friends and buddies? that say, yes, you did that right. Oh my gosh. Look at this. You're some guys in my group, I've been sober for seven, 17 years. Way to go, man. You hear, you're awesome, dude. I'm praying for you. Oh, yeah, this is what happened. My wife and I, we, we got in a fight. We were, way to go. You reconciled. Where do you get that affirmation? You've got to have it in community that you're on the right track and you're doing the right thing and God is with you. got to have that encouragement, right? And so he gets an attaboy from Jesus and then Jesus says, you're right, but here's what it means to be the disciple, the Messiah. Here's what it means to be the Messiah, Peter. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and the third day raised to life. What? What's Jesus talking about? That's not Peter's plan. And Peter says, he takes Jesus aside to give him a little you know, little talk about how to get things right as the Messiah. Lord, this shall never ever happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Man, I love this smogger stuff. Man, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, this is just a little uh, intimate, loving truth talk between Jesus and Peter. You're a stumbling block for me, Peter, because you are in darkness and blindness, Peter. You don't have in your mind the concerns of God, the truth of God, and who the Messiah really is. You have merely concerns of men, your concerns, because you want to be powerful, and you want to be successful, and you want to have all the world stuff. You want to gain the world, Peter, but you're going to lose your soul, dude. You understand that you got the word right, Messiah, but you don't understand who the Messiah is. So he exposes Peter's heart in community. That wouldn't have happened if they just went to a synagogue and heard a sermon, If all Jesus did was take his disciples to synagogues and hear sermons and they went and did some ministry together, would Peter's dark heart ever be exposed? Would Peter ever be changed about the truth? No. This is the power of community. And then Jesus encourages Peter and the disciples because they're all a part of this learning experience. Then Jesus says to the disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. Deny their agenda, deny their control, Deny their, their desire to be king and lord of all. Deny your selfishness and your pride and your ego. Deny yourselves. Take up your cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life by gaining the world will lose it. But Whoever loses their life by trusting in me and finding me will gain their life. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? There it is, and forfeit their soul. This is a, a huge thing. How does small group community or intentional community work. It exposes us to the truth, it exposes us to truth, and it encourages us in truth. Exposure. Right? We need to know what's in our hearts, and many times we don't even know what's in our hearts. Many times I come to my small group and I don't even know what's going on inside of me. I think I do, but it's only when I get it out and I process it and I hear myself talk, I realize, oh my gosh, did I really say that? Did I really think that? Because it's underneath the surface. There's darkness in my heart many times. There's things that are taking me away because of my pride and my ego, away from the calling and the will of I need community to set me right. Here's what Pete Cazero says. We all have a shadow side. We have a dark side to our souls that is deceptive, that's bought into some lies, that is about us being God, right? It's still there. That has to be worked out in community. Our shadow side is the accumulation of untamed emotions Less than pure motives and thoughts in our soul. That's what Jesus has just coughed up out of Peter in community. And it's a gift because now it can be changed and transformed by the truth and the light of God and the affirmation of Jesus. And so the second thing we need is encouragement. We give the truth out and then we get redirected in that truth. Our darkness gets exposed and then we move into the light. How many times have I come into my small group and I've had it so wrong about my wife? I thought I was right. I thought I was justified. I was going to go home and beat her up. And I just wanted my guys to tell me I was right. And guess what they told me? Bucky, you got it wrong. Don't do that. And guess what? Those guys helped my marriage a lot. Saved me a lot of pain. Because I didn't understand the darkness of my own heart. I need community. You need community. If you really want healing and integration and wholeness in your soul, you just can't do life without it. And you need that encouragement of, hey, you know what? Your story, that's my story. Your failure, I've I've done that so many times, dude. Come on. (laughs) Welcome to the party, (laughs) right? I need someone to understand that I'm flawed and they're flawed and we're all in this game together. That's community. You know, a lot of people come to church and everybody's got a Jesus face line and go, wow, they walk in and all these people are perfect. I'm going to leave that church. And then they go to small group and they go, oh my gosh, everybody's got the same problems that I do. I love this place. That's why you need community. And here's the third, here, here's what it says in the book of Hebrews. Let us consider how we may spur one another on in love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Don't give up community as some are in the habit of doing. Is that Orange County? We're just not going to meet together because we've got too many more important things to do. I'll, we'll just skip community. No, no, no. That's like skipping medicine and vitamins and the best thing for your soul, right? Some are in the habit of doing, but but encouraging one another as all the more we see the day of Jesus' return approaching. Man, we got to be in community to encourage each other to do the things that God's called us to do. And finally, community is the place where we find healing and restoration, right? We find our true calling to know God, enjoy him, that we're a human being the soul. We find transformation with the truth. We also find restoration and healing because we do blow it. We do mess up. And you know, Jesus takes his disciples and the end of that whole game is what he said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they're going to crucify me on a cross. And that happens actually, right? At the Passover, Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He's handed over to the Sanhedrin and they, they on trumped up charges, they say he's, he deserves death. He's an apostate. And so the Romans crucify him after the Jews hand him over and they put him on a cross and he dies. But during that process, at the beginning, Peter says, I will never deny you, Jesus. I'm in for you. I'm the man. And what does he do? He denies Jesus. One, two, three strikes, you're out. Three times. And Jesus dies and then three days later, he rises from the dead. He shows himself to his disciples and Peter knows he's alive. But Peter is done because he's struck out for Jesus. He betrayed his friend. He's not good enough. He's not not worthy of being a leader or being on the team. So Peter says, I'm out. And he goes back to fishing. He walks away. He disconnects his soul. He walks away from his calling. He walks away from his community. But his community does not walk away from him. And his friends and his buddies go out and find him. And they go fishing with him. Because they know that Jesus is alive. And they want to help him. And so they're out doing the same thing with Peter. Peter's going fishing and all of a sudden somebody comes up on the side of the shore and they're in the shallow waters and he yells out to the boat, hey, you guys caught anything? No, it's another rough day in the waters. You know, that's what happens in fishing, right? Well, why don't you throw the nets on the other side? Okay, they throw the nets and all of a sudden, another miracle. 153 fish just coming out of the net, coming on the boat, and all of a sudden, John says, "That's the Lord." And Peter goes, "Oh my gosh!" And his heart revives again. That soul brokenness just comes alive, and he dives in the water and he goes to Jesus. And Jesus already has a meal prepared and fish there, and they all sit down. And Jesus has a restorative healing conversation with Peter that's famous in John 21. Jesus says to them, "Come to breakfast." I have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, "Who are you?" They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. He served them, blessed them. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples, and after he was raised from the dead, when they had finished eating, then Jesus does the restorative healing with Peter. We know this three times. He failed three times, but Jesus asked the question three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times, Peter was hurt, ouch. But that's because surgery was being done. Surgery was being done on his soul. He was being restored in the same brokenness. See, we're broken in relationship, we're restored in relationship. That's what community does. Heals and restores and mends the broken wounds and brings us back together. That's what authentic relationships with Jesus is about. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times, Jesus restores his calling. He says, you're the man. I believe in you, Peter. Feed my sheep. He hands him back the baton of leadership. And Peter is going to become the leader of the 12. Why does Jesus do this in community? Why doesn't he just do a one-on-one, just personal counseling session with Peter? Because the boys need to know that Jesus believes in Peter. The boys need to know that Jesus believes in Peter and to trust in that. And that's why Jesus does that healing restoration. And you know what? Jesus wants to do the same with you. And he does it in community. He does it when we open up our hearts and we expose and we, we're honest about who we are. And there's an honest discussion here because there's a play on the Greek words here because Jesus asks him, do you love me with agape love? Do you love me perf- perfectly? And Peter said before, I love you perfectly. Peter said, I'm the man. I love you perfectly, right? Peter, that was his shadow. That was his ego. That was his pride. And now this time he says, Jesus, you know I love you, but I love you humanly. I'm I, I'm not God. I'm not in control of this thing. And so Peter is humbly being authentic with who he is, and he's being restored in his trust of Jesus. This is a powerful conversation. That's why later in the church, it becomes such a healing and restorative community. Jesus' brother James says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. Well, I thought I'd just confess my sins to a pastor or a priest. I don't have to. Why, why, why do not want to do that? They might think less of me. Actually, when we confess to each other, there's healing that happens deep healing in our soul because we're human beings and we need the touch, we need the human touch, we need the incarnational part of that. Yes, God forgives us when we confess to him, 100%, but this is about our healing and restoration and being the person that God created us to be. It's so powerful. That happens in community. So community is just this amazing gift to us, guys. We can't live without it, we've got to have it. And I just want to challenge you, if you don't have it, to meet with Ben for coffee, Get on the website, join a group. With so many great groups: men's, women's, couples groups. Maybe uh, come out to the community table afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about how we can help you in your next steps of community. Next week is ten years celebration, and I just want to end my story as the band comes up and we prayer communion. I want to talk about why I'm here today. Ten years. I'm the founding pastor of Watermark, and it's been a privilege to hand the baton to Ben Appleby and work for him. It's so awesome. But I just want to tell you about seven years ago, maybe before a lot of you were here. Seven years ago, this church went through the darkest time it's ever been through. It was the darkest time of my leadership as a pastor. And we went through a very difficult thing because the top leadership, myself and my co-pastor lead, we broke apart. We had a leadership divorce, Yeah. You know, it happens in the church all the time. Leaders can't get along for different reasons, personalities, conflicts, whatever, but it didn't happen for us. And it was sad and tragic, and our leadership broke apart, and it broke my soul. Like Peter, I felt like a failure. I felt like I wasn't enough of a leader to keep it together. I wasn't right enough, or whatever it was, I failed the church, and half the church left when that happened. My partner, he left. I stayed. God called him to leave. I stayed. I stayed. Half the church left, and so the church split. I lost all these friends that I, I, I actually gave them a vision that this was going to go well, and half of them left. So I felt broken. I felt like I'd failed God and I failed His people. And on top of that, then I went into heart surgery about two months later and had a, uh, an aortic valve replacement, probably because of a lot of the stress and the pain of all that. And so I was depressed emotionally and physically from that heart surgery. And I, I was done. I'm going to go back to fishing. I'm going to go back to the restaurants. Well, something happened. These men that I had been walking with in community—Bob, Vance, Gino, Danny, Joe Hill—he said, "We're staying with you, Bucky. We're not going to split the board. We're staying with you." Because we believe in the call that God has on your life. We believe that you are a shepherd of God's people. We believe that you're supposed to teach the flock. And they stayed with me. And we cried together. And we confessed together. And we sought God together. And God restored my leadership soul. I wouldn't be here next week celebrating all that God has done at Watermark. And he's brought this church back from the dead. And I've been able to hand the baton to my son-in-law. And so many great things are happening in our church. I'm so thankful that I get to say thank you, Jesus, next weekend. But it's because of those men that stood with me and walked with me and got me through the most darkest time of my leadership. And I just thank God for them. I would not be here if it wasn't for those men. And that's the gift of community. There's nothing like it. We all need it. I just want to encourage you in that. Let us help you find that. Because that's how Jesus changes our souls and puts it back together again. He was in community the night that he was betrayed with his friends, and he took the meal, and he broke and He said, this is my body broken for you. This is My blood poured out because I love you, and I want you to be healed in the depth of your soul. We invite you to come and celebrate this communion table and remember what he did for you, and maybe pray with your friends. Pray and thank God for the gift of community. And maybe if you don't have community, ask God to show you how you can get back in. Maybe you've walked away from Jesus and just like he's calling you back to be healed in community. Maybe you have church hurt, and, and you need to meet with a pastor and have some counsel to help you with the, the pain and the struggle you've been through. We're here for you. We want you to be whole and healed in community. And so please let Jesus show you your next steps. But let's take this meal together and celebrate the gift of Jesus. And the community we get to do this is a community meal. But let me pray for you, Father, thanks so much for the gift of your son. Jesus, thank you for taking on skin and coming and dying for us, and rising so that we might have life and wholeness. Lord Jesus, we take this meal, feed us, and Lord fill us with a confidence in you so that we would connect with others in community, that we would be the family of God, that we would be the body of Christ. That's community, Father. Make Watermark that kind of community so that we can heal and restore the souls of the hurting and the broken in our world. Thank you for being the gift of life to us. We celebrate your body and blood. In Jesus' name, amen. And whenever God calls you, come to the table and partake of the body and blood of Christ and celebrate his goodness for you. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.